0: Hey, have you heard about popcultureclassroom.org? Pop Culture Classroom inspires a love of learning, increases literacy, celebrates diversity, and builds community through the tools of popular culture and the power of self-expression. That sounds awesome. Pop Culture Classroom envisions individuals transformed by the educational power of pop culture who create diverse, inclusive, and engaged communities, and they bring us Denver Pop Culture Comic Con. So. That's why you get these panels, these guests, these interviews, all of this programming that we offer through the BAC network. Other things that Pop Culture Classroom gives a shit about quality service to kids and communities, respect, inclusiveness, and diversity, equality of opportunity, alternative approaches to education, recognizing each person's intrinsic dignity and importance, that's always good, and open communication, responsibility, and honesty. Does it sound like I'm reading that off their website? It's because I am. I want to get it right, because they deserve to get it right, and they deserve to have you go to their webpage, popcultureclassroom.org, and donate so they can keep on trucking with their Awesome mission to change the world through pop culture and literacy and education.
1: Guys, so yeah. oh. like, super embarrassed. That guy, so I you um, anyway, I uh, want to welcome y'all to comics and coping, uh, using pop culture to process trauma. Um, for the next 45 minutes or so, we are going to dive into this topic and kind of what it means. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to just introduce ourselves. So my name is Jeremy Ryan. I'm a special education teacher I'm kind of in Colorado Springs. Um, I have uh, five plus years working in special ed, uh, two plus particularly with students who have SED, which is a serious emotional disability, um, students that are K through 12. Um, so I work with lots of different types of students, um, predominantly adolescents who have been through various types I'm <laughs> Asia Ryan. I work
2: in higher education, but I'm also kind of just a pop culture enthusiast for the day. So I'll be talking about our heroes and heroines and how they demonstrate some of
3: the things we're going to talk about. Hi, I'm Lauren Skula, and I'm a marriage and family therapist. And- I know these two, and yes, they are absolutely pop culture enthusiasts, and you we are in good hands today. Um, I work with people mainly around relational issues up in Lafayette, and I've been doing that for several years here. Um, I'm just honored to be able to meet with all of you today. So,
1: yeah, so we're going to run through, uh, just give you guys a roadmap, we're going to run through and what trauma is, what that looks like, the responses to what trauma is, before we dive into some archetypes with heroes and heroines, to kind of give us a good idea of how we navigate that. Um, And then at the end, we're going to have some time uh, for conversation, questions, if you guys have any of that that you want to share, uh, you can think about that. So, uh, starting out of what is trauma? So trauma, individual trauma, results from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening with lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So basically, it's the shit that happens to us. You know, that's how you can kind of summarize it in a lot of ways. Um, But it's an important thing because, as most of us know, life is full of a lot of speed bumps. And in the United States, 61% of men, 51% of women report exposure to at least one lifetime traumatic event and 90% of clients in public behavioral health care settings have experienced trauma. And
3: yeah, I'll just add to that. I like to talk about trauma as something that's too big to consume or to process all at once. So something that happens to you, and it's like trying to eat health elephant, you can't do it. You have to take it in place. And so it comes in these ways, and it takes time to really make meaning and process
1: everything that happened in that moment. Um, that being said, I don't. you don't have to share what it is. But um, just by show of hands, how many of you feel like you have experienced something in your life that would be defined as a traumatic event? So, I mean, we're way over the average in here, which you can't expect with a panel like this. But, um, you know, that's that's powerful when you look around the room, and not many of you look around the room, but if you were to, uh, pretty much everyone in here wastes their hand. And so that's important to keep in mind that traumatic events are not something that you go through on your own, even though they can feel that way. There's something that we can go through together, and they're definitely a part of life, even if they're, for sure, most uncomfortable for life. So what causes trauma? Well, we could kind of define it in three kind of major categories, right? So we have prenatal, so when you're in the womb. And you know, that can be things like exposure to drugs and alcohol, high stress, medical complications, this is definitely not an exhaustive list definitely some of those types of things that can happen before you're born postnatal you know talking separation from a parent uh abandonment or abuse so this could happen not just when you're a baby but anytime after you've basically been born Uh, witnessing abuse moving uh, incarceration or a family member that's incarcerated so those those both those things would kind of be defined as more systemic they're long-term events right but then we have this third category, which can be a sudden event, and that is probably more typical of most of the types of trauma that we've experienced. So that could be hospitalization for various uh, types of issues, medical issues, car accident, natural disaster, witnessing the death, witnessing uh, violence, or the death, uh, particularly the sudden death of a family member or a friend. Yeah, and I also think that actually these first two are often ones that people don't
3: think of as trauma, and it can be really you know, as you're reflecting, maybe you've had some of these experiences, perhaps, and even identifying them as trauma can be a really empowering experience. Put a label on it, so that you can start
1: to make meaning of it, perhaps. Yeah, I think understanding what you're going through is kind of the first step, in terms of being able to own it, process it and work through it, and that's what we're going to get to in a minute, some of these heroes. Um, But how do we typically cope to this type of stuff? Well, You know, emotional signs, sadness, anger, denial, rage, fear, shame, you know, those are all very, very typical. Uh, Those can lead to a lot of things. Maybe you can't manage your relationships very well, maybe you can't hold down a job very well, substance abuse, emotional outbursts. Um, In terms of physical symptoms, you know, that can start to shift in terms of your change in appetite, your change in sleep, Um, your kind of just whole mental awareness of what's going on can start to shift. Um, And then it can start to lead to actual diagnosable um, disorders, PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, a whole variety of kind of end game issues that we can have if we don't address these things earlier on. And that's kind of a big part of what we're looking at today is how we start to do that, how we maybe start to catch some of that earlier on. How do we survive when tragedy strikes? And life can often feel like it's falling apart, when that happens, we can really need a roadmap. Right? And I think one of the most helpful things is, is recognizing, like you said a few minutes ago when we all raised your hands, recognizing that other people have gone through this before. I'm not the first, and so we kind of gleaning wisdom from what they've done. Right? And uh, what you You're not alone. Exactly, that you're not alone. And that is that is probably the most important thing with all of this if we could summarize it into like a t-shirt phrase, is that you're not alone, And that is the most important thing to remember when you are going through a traumatic event, that you are not the first through this or in the last, and you are not alone in what you're going through. But what
2: you're feeling is still real, and it still matters.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's still individual to you, yeah. So we know that we're not alone in our pain. Our pain is not a sign of weakness, We're we're not at fault for the trauma we've experienced, and that recovery is not only possible, it's anticipated. Right? That we know that we can get there, because other people have been there and they've made it through it. So we know that we can too. We just need to know how do we access those tools, how do we look to those archetypes of people that have already been
2: through that. And it's helpful to see our story represented. right? Like That's why we love movies, that's why we love books, that's why we love the favorite characters we're dressed up as today, or at least Paying homage to Moline here, right? We 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 feel validated with that. We feel secure and in some ways finding those people that we can relate to who are on a screen or on a page is more safe than when a real person face to face. So that's why pop culture and the things we love can be so valuable and helpful when we're going through some of this.
3: I think it might
1: help you access strength that you see in that character that maybe you actually have yourself allowing you to access that. What <coughs> you even know you not connected to that character? So, I mean, I'm assuming, because we're all here, that a lot of y'all read comics and pop culture things, obviously. Um, but given that, you know, there's heroes from, you know, the whole gamut that cover everything. So it can kind of be a big picture thing trying to try and figure out how do, we, how do we process this? How do we start to look at these heroes and work through their stories? And so um, one of the easiest ways, although it's not always the most effective way, is through, is through the seven stages of grief. Now, I'm saying this with a caveat that these stages of grief are not a beginning and end <coughs> right. Okay? And you might not feel any of these if you experience a traumatic event, or you may feel all of them. It's just a helpful tool in terms of understanding these are fairly common categories that you may fall into, not all of them, but maybe some of them, throughout uh, the, throughout your processing of the traumatic event. Yeah, and, and I also I'm actually, I think that in addition to feeling grief, perhaps some of
3: this around the traumatic event, um, Grief around maybe the loss of something you perceive or expect in the future, a hoped for future. Um, But that also can bring up a lot of grief that I think sometimes surprises people that they didn't expect um, that you would grieve the future that hasn't happened yet, but that you were hoping for and planned
1: on. Yeah, so I mean, an easy example of that would be like a miscarriage. You know, you're just really hoping for something and that never happens, and that can be so awkward to know how to process that and what to do because you're grieving something. That you didn't really lose you should never really have it but it's still very real grief um so anyway all that to say the feelings you've may not fit into this but for the sake of a 45-minute panel we kind of got to work through what are typical emotions um, so start with that really shock right so shock for sure when something happens um confusion fear and blame and there's almost no better examples of that than Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne, right? And the examples that they went through. I mean, Peter, in terms of he has these powers. It's this amazing blessing and opportunity, and he kind of has the world as his oyster. And then he squanders it because he doesn't protect those that he loves most, right? And he allows harm to come to Uncle Ben. And so immediately upon that happening, he realizes that he could have been there. And then that. that Starts to be internalized into he should have been there, and it starts to transform into this kind of fear and the shame. And we see the same thing with Bruce, where it's like even though he's a child when his when his parents were murdered, you know that's a really insane event. I mean, at least for Peter, he didn't witness Uncle Ben dying, but for Bruce, it's like he's right there in the alleyway when his parents are gunned down, and he, you know, we see that. Still, in current Batman comics, we still see that threat. He cannot let it go, that he has this onus of responsibility over not kind of stepping in front of the gun, over not doing more, although I don't know what I would expect a child to do in those kind of circumstances. Um, so these kind of things can be helpful for us because we can kind of see you know what, if we're in those kind of spots where something traumatic happens, that's normally kind of your default position. You might feel like I could have done something. Why didn't I do something more? Where was I? You know, and we see kind of in these heroes, and you know we'll follow a couple of their trajectories, but you see in them, you know, that it's not their fault. And it's really easy to recognize as a reader that it's not Pierre or Bruce's fault. Those are events that happen, and they really have nothing to do with what they did or didn't do. But we see how easy it is for them to grab onto that and internalize it because they need some kind of island on which they can place their grief. Yeah, and I want to add about, you
3: mentioned kind of this shame. Um, shame really exists kind of in the shadows, in the darkness, and if you start to shine light on it, meaning bring it out and talk about it, that's actually the antidote to shame and guilt, but specifically shame, that it really likes to exist in isolation more that you connect with those around you to talk about that shame, which can be really, really hard, um, but that's where you start to see some movement and start to see some light come back in.
2: So denial, um, you start to kind of feel numb, you avoid things, that's kind of when you turtle or retreat, you can almost feel paralyzed with normal life. So two really great examples of this that I, I love both of these characters. Well, I don't love Denethor, but I love The of the Rings. So Denethor, he kind of just loses it at the end, right, with the battle. And he's in such denial, he tries to kill his own kid. So he really hits an extreme of this in terms of, like, not wanting to give up his power or accept what's happening around him. He's just like, nope, we're done. So let's just go and just end it all. Like, he just kind of gives up. So he's just numb to what people are. Dr. Strange, whether it's the comics or the film, uh, when he first has his accident and loses his ability to be a surgeon, he refuses to accept it and he's just done. done. And he sells all that stuff in his house to try to keep seeking out treatment to get back to what he had. He's in utter and complete denial of of trying to deal with his new reality of you can't be a surgeon because you can't. So it's a really powerful, deep moment for him when he's going through all of that. You just you feel it with him. So I think he's a great representation of that. Well,
1: and I think with that, you know, it's interesting with these two because Doctor Strange, you know, we see it. I mean, in the MCU and in the comics, we see him go through that and then overcome it. But with Thor, it's the exact opposite. He gets stuck, stuck in that stage of denial. I mean I, I, I mean, I guess barely you could say he starts to come out of it when he realizes that he's burning far more alive. But, but you know, for the better part, it's like his story ends in the denial stage, you know? I mean, he's set a blaze soon after, and then he you know, falls off in terrace. So it's like, so it, it's interesting to recognize in some of these characters in pop culture, sometimes they do have this great happy ending, and they make their way through it, and those are the ones that we obviously want to model, you know? But it's also good to recognize some characters they you know they have a really tragic end and they don't see their way out of the fog and they kinda get stuck forever. And what that ultimately, you know, I I would argue in every scenario that leads to their demise. And that's really an important lesson for us to recognize for the grief that we're trying to process as well. Can I add on that?
3: So just kind of the idea of grief in general, specifically by, I like to see of grief that is kind of like the weather. That at first you might be in the middle of winter. Winter's coming. Already, already <laughs> happened. Already um, happened. That that it's light weather. That you know the seasons will change. There may be some really rainy days, and then there may be some sunny days. Um, and that it will come and go. And with denial specifically, I like to kind of point that there's a difference between distraction and avoidance. That it's a healthy behavior to be able to distract yourself at times, but there is a point when it becomes unhealthy when you're avoiding altogether, um, not allowing yourself to process some of the grief. So I want to just kind of pinpoint that there are kind of these two distinctions, that there could be some distraction, that if you need a moment when it's raining really hard, just to take your mind off something and go watch, you know, come here and see us talk, or or go see a comic, or whatever it is, um, that 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 can be really healthy as well. It's when it gets to
2: These are two of my favorite characters in MCU. Tells you how I process my grief. Um, so we got Punisher, who takes his righteous anger, and he just wants to take it out of everybody. And he does not give a <laughs> fuck uh, <laughs> because he is just so mad. I he has every right to me. And Wolverine, same thing. He was experimented on. He forgot who he was. He was turned into a weapon, and he's always kind of fighting for something, but it's never really like a person, right? It's like his own agenda, his cause to just overcome, and, you know, it was all berserker. So, but the two of them do have moments where they kind of come the to clarity. They both do still seek out other people, right? Like, sometimes Wilbur will bring to this, sometimes he's not. Like, he's just kind of all over the place, but that's still good. So we do see them trying to kind of, Helpfully overcome some of that anger in moments where they're super compassionate and helpful for other people. So what I love about them is they give you, they give you hope to like still, be, still have your full humanity. You, know, you can be righteously angry, but still really loving and caring to those that you really care about. And it's usually the people we care about that make us righteously <coughs> angry. And that's what I love about these two characters is you know that that's their core. It's, it's people they love that they just want to what people set off for, and they do.
3: I think something with like that is,
1: you know, in our culture, we treat anger like it's a bad emotion. Like you should always try and be calm and peaceful. And obviously that's good, if you don't want to go down the street and punch people on the face like that. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you know, there's a place for anger, it's a natural human emotion, and that doesn't necessarily make it bad if it's directed in the right way. And I wouldn't really argue that these two always
0: directed the right way. Right. But,
1: at the same time, I think that they're both consciously aware that they're not doing that.
0: And so that becomes
1: important because when we feel anger, we can recognize, okay, so I can suppress it and that's bad. I can process it in an appropriate way and that's good. And we can kind of look at them and see, okay, they're in the middle room. Sometimes they process it in a very bad way. Sometimes they process it in a good
0: way. You know, they really do. And, And so I think,
1: Being able to distinguish between those three kind of positions is important because that gives us a sense of awareness that allows us to actually step outside ourselves, observe the anger that we have, acknowledge that it's there, own it, know that it's okay, and then realize how do we use that to do something productive, to do something good in the world. You know, anger can be a remarkable fuel source if we have it directed in a way that is safe, if that makes sense. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I'll add also about anger. That I think that there's a pretty big social component to anger. The way that we are socialized um, to either, like, you share kind of be peaceful. Often we see, you know, femininity, women told not to express their anger, whereas with men that might be something. Sometimes that aggressiveness um, that's really tied to masculinity. And so often, you know, I you know see that people, specifically maybe men, who experience a lot of anger, that beneath that might actually be so if you have someone you know important in your life, um, man or woman, but you see a lot of anger, that there might be some grief under that, that, that might be some perhaps depression, some sadness, but that that might be what socially they've learned is the you know, most acceptable emotion for them to express. And I'll also add about anger is that it's a really um, it's an energetic feeling. Um, so when you're feeling anger, you probably notice that your heart rate you know goes up, <coughs> and you just feel like really kind of pumped up. And anger and that one way you know to kind of move through the anger, move with the anger is to move, um, to get up and you know, go for a walk. You know, if, if you're really feeling it, you know, bust up, punch a bag, you um, dress.
1: therapeutic thing ever, you shit out of that thing, like so great so anyway, you know, those are great examples of like anger can be a good thing and if you use it the right way it can be a very therapeutic tool to kind of transform it, so
2: but I'll just say, the characters we're talking about, they obviously don't live in these phases, right, like this, this next phase is talking about fear, there's a point of isolation, both Punisher and Wolverine isolate themselves when they have those real rage moments because they feel guilty or they're trying to it's traumatic for them to have done that. So it doesn't mean each hero kind of only lives in this one spot. They're just, they have points in their story arc that really kind of hit it on
1: the head, so. And with that, you know, with the fear stage, with Rogue, who's um just uncertainty, panic, insecurity, isolation, you know, with Rogue, just this constant sense of paranoia, of
0: touching anybody,
1: of kind of leeching that life out of them, and uh, yes, for yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of there. You know, and and Bruce is uh, that fear of losing control constantly, and um, you know we're not talking Professor Hulk and being here. We're talking Hulk pretty much, much, much the rest of, of them, and just that fear that you know the pain, the trauma that he's experienced is going to take over, and that that's going to be what's kind of driving the car, and that he's just a passenger, and that's a really really. Opens, and I feel like a relatable feeling. Um, you know, you think back to those dramatic experiences that you maybe raised your hand about a while ago. And it's like, it's very natural to feel scared that that experience may transform you into someone that isn't you. That it might change you and alter you. And I mean, and down to a core level. And, there's a lot of studies that we won't go into right now, especially in children, how that actually can affect them on a genetic level and can change who they are. And it changes you know, the brain chemistry and everything. And so you know, that, that's, even though it's not as extreme as the Hulk, it's certainly a fair feeling to be concerned about you know, this event that I went through, is it going to alter me forever? Can I come back from it? am I salvageable or redeemable? Or is this just who I am now and what I am?
3: That you know, also fear fear that starts to generalize. If you experience something that was a traumatic event, um, like that third category uh, that Jeremy discussed in the beginning, and if it's a traumatic event, starting to generalize that fear. of, Will this happen every time I get in the car? You know, if you were in a car accident, will you know I have a miscarriage again? You know, starting to generalize it and knowing that that's that that's part of your processing, um, but also you know. There is a point when that starts to limit your ability to function at work or you know be with friends or be with family, and again that's when you know seeking support around it. That if it's impacting your ability to live your life, um, you know touch up, touch up, or connect with your resources.
1: So oh, there we go. So next one, depression. Okay. Right,
2: so who's watched Jessica Jones? Season three's coming. I'm like, hi, so we picked her because um, she she doesn't seem overwhelmed, but she definitely has that lack of energy, right? And she's an alcoholic, which is a pretty key sign of depression. So that's how she's coping with her trauma. It's not a series. It's very well done. I'd say this one and Daredevil or Pun- and Punisher, those three. Don't waste your time with Iron Fist. Um, <laughs> oh, so so, so. You ruined it for all of us. Um, but she definitely is overwhelmed by the powers she has. like, And she kind of hits denial, too, where she doesn't want them. Because she feels like she should be a more responsible, productive member of society, but she doesn't want to be. And yet she has these powers. And so that really just kind of locks her down a lot in the show. Um, to the point where she doesn't feel helpless, but she just feels lethargic a lot. Like, she, she's very intelligent, she has a lot to offer, but it takes a lot for people to get her to do that and help her just get help
0: sometimes.
1: So the other one we got there is Deadpool, and it's kind of hard to read what really he's saying there, um, but I'm gonna read it to you, just because I think normally when we think of Deadpool, right, we think of this like goofy ass chimichanga whatever, you know, killing everybody kind of guy. Um, but I think this is really poignant. he says, I now realize I've never experienced happiness. I put on a good show, but I simply don't know the meaning of the word, and I never will. And I think that that's just really poignant because when you look at some of um, his backstories, like he lost his whole family in this really tragic way. I mean he was mutilated, he was burned. Um, and so it not to mention experimented on, and so he He ends up expressing his depression by putting on that mask, I mean a literal mask, but also the mask of like, hey, I'm a fun loving jokester, jester guy, everybody loves me Deadpool, you know? And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I can't really relate to that. When things happen in life that are really hard, it can be hard to open up. You don't really know who I open up to. Do I open up to my family? Is that going to be too intense? Is this going to be a big thing? Do I open up to my friends, but now they see me differently. My coworkers, but now I'm labeled as that guy who went through XYZ. You know, so it can be really hard. So instead, it, it can feel a lot easier to put on the mask. And be like, hey, yeah, I'm Jeremy. It's at, it's at the bar or whatever the hell. You know, and and the thing is, is that, you know, if you really delve into Deadpool comics beyond, you know, just the superficial fun, fun stuff, um, you see that he is a character that. Is really riddled with pain, and he doesn't know what to do with that pain, and he's isolated by that pain, and it drives him to the point. At one point in this comics, where he's suicidal, because of it, he just doesn't know what to even do with this, you know. And I think that that is useful in two ways. One, we can recognize that we could go down the same path. It's so easy to put on that mask, because then nobody knows, and then we just kind of shove the feelings down, right? And we just everything's cool and we go on with life but then they crop up and they eat us alive from the inside <coughs> but it's also helpful because of moments like this in the comments that there are moments where his head comes above the water and it's like, no you know, like, yeah, I joke around it's fine, but I, I don't even know like, what color looks like anymore you know, <coughs> what he recognizes that that's how far deep down the rabbit hole he's gone and that can be really useful for us to recognize, you know, how We've the same things to ourselves have we been wearing that mask for too long it's time for us to take it off ourselves look at ourselves in the mirror i mean think about what he thinks when he sees that face and it's like yeah he probably wants to look away <coughs> He might feel that way too but he keeps staring and that makes all the difference that's what helps him step forward well
3: add on that with um, depression you know obviously it's experienced individually. But if you're in a relationship, whether it's family, friends, significant other, partner, it shows up in your relationship as well. One of the things that I often work with couples around is when one partner is experiencing depression, grief, um, a really big feeling, often the other doesn't know what to do. They don't know what to do with that, how do I respond, I want to fix it. You know, your partner cares, and they don't want to see you in pain, and so they do whatever they can to help you move through as quickly as possible. And often what I you know work with partners around, with, uh, isn't experiencing that big emotion, whether it's depression or grief, is um, let them know that just being present, even if you don't know what to say, say that. I don't know what to say, but I'm here with you. That you are not alone. That that can be one of the biggest things that you can do, is just to let that person know, I'm not leaving. I'm here with you. Um, even if I don't know what to do or fix it, I'm here. hi right. So, go ahead.
1: Bargaining um, is kind of more
2: on the other side of grief. It's maybe one of the healthier ways to process your grief because you kind of feel more compelled to start talking about what happened to people around you. Um, You reach out, you start telling your story because you're trying to find some meaning or that connection of the I'm not alone. So uh, Magneto does this a lot, all the time processing his trauma in the Holocaust camp and losing his family, and he's kind of always putting his story and his trauma out there. That's why he forms the lead that he does, and he gets people on his side. And just, he he has that same anger piece and his righteous indignation of wanting to just screw the humans if they screwed me, but he's putting it out there. He's always got that at the front of his why. He knows his why.
1: And and the other one there is Superman, and that's specifically from the Injustice story arc. And you know, that Lois Lane dies, and from that, he's really trying to figure out like, what do I do now? You know, what 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 does this mean? And at first, he just kind of rages, but then he kind of decides, you know what? Because of this, the Justice League has to be more of like a universal policing system, and it doesn't end up very good. But at the same time. He's, he's trying to do that, right? He's trying to make sure like, Lois didn't just die in vain. There was a reason why she died, and there's something that he can glean from it. And so with these two, it's important, because Magneto is a, is a wonder. He's probably one of the best characters in comic books, in my opinion. Because I think you'd be hard-pressed to name him as a villain. You know, he just, he's just so complex that it's easy to justify a lot of the things that he does, for the better part, because he has this really good, noble cause at the end of it, you know? So he can be a great example of the complexity of this stage. Whereas Superman, is in this story arc, is a good example of really the adverse side that can come from the stage, is that sometimes you may want to share your story, but if you're not doing it with others, if you're still kind of siloing yourself off, it's easy for that to start to get twisted, and you create that narrative, and you decide what it is, and then it's kind of a roll of dice. Maybe you found something good that's great, or maybe you found something really destructive. And so that's why, you know, he's up there really to remind us of, like, how valuable the rest of the league is for him. And they're trying to tell him, like, no, Superman, this is a good idea. We shouldn't do this, particularly Batman, right? But he carries that through, and that's what ultimately ends up leading to the falling out but between him and Batman, and then the eventually,
3: you know, the league falling apart in the story. I feel like this idea of meaning making, and you mentioned kind of this narrative, and you know, yes, that absolutely being able to share your narrative um, can be a really, really, um, you know, therapeutic tool in the meaning making process. And one place that you can start if that feels too scary is even just starting to write it down. If you write it down, um, you know, that's the first kind of approach to it, and then maybe from there, maybe you share that with somebody, maybe you read it aloud, maybe you let them read it.
1: Um, just kind of a way to baby step into that in sharing process. Oops, sorry, too far. Um, and then the last one, the stage degree that we'll cover, the acceptance stage, uh, exploring options, hope, security, finding a plan, finding meaning. Um, so obviously in juxtaposition and Neo with Professor X. Um, and Professor X is just, you know, Taylor's wonderful in the sense that you know, he's crippled, he's been through this kind of tragic past as well. Um, just a lot of falling out of people that he loved. Um, I mean, numerous traumatic events, especially with him kind of the young X-Men, and trying to groom them, all the disasters that really happened along the way. I see more of that in Dark Phoenix. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You'd the think they were sponsored by Marvel. I know. I know. So, anyway. You can see which way it with me. But... <laughs> I mean, you know, amidst all that, he really stays tried and true. And he kind of sees that there is hope and that there is possibility on the other end. And he sees that, you know, tragedy can happen, but but that provides an opportunity for growth and for learning. And those are easy things to say. They sound like great sound bites. But, you know, I think that when you're really reading X Men Comics, you really kind of delve inside of his mind, Uh, you really get a clear idea of how difficult that is. What's two steps forward, one back constantly. And he definitely doubts himself. It's not like he just always is like, oh, everything will be fine. You know, not blasé like that. But he understands that at the end of the day, good can win out. And the people that he's working with and teaching, that they are good people. They have good ends. And so he just has to help him kind of uncover that. And ultimately, you know, Spider-Man is my favorite, so we got to come back to Spider-Man. Just the last, caption in, in um, uh, Mason 96.15, he says, the lean sound figure slowly fades in the gathering darkness, aware at last in this world with great power must also come great responsibility. So with Peter's story, we have there in the very first issue, just, you know, this hope that he's accepted this is my burden to bear, but I'm going to use it to good ends, right? And I love this quote, it's out of uh, a fantastic book called Psychology of Superheroes, uh, unauthorized exploration, but says so, Spider-Man is the classic tragic hero of comic books. His uncle's kill is the result of Peter Parker's careless and selfish lapse. His first fiancée, when Stacy is killed by his very attempt to save her from falling off a broken bridge. Peter's various relationships, career, money, and other woes make him doubt the wisdom of being Spider-Man, to the point where he actually gives it up twice. In the end, though, his belief that with great power comes great responsibility always brings him. And I think that's so helpful for us when we're thinking about grief. You know, when we're thinking about our trauma, to understand that what we said at the beginning, that there's light on the other side of it, that someone else has gone through this, that we can utilize this to kind of push through that tunnel, that darkness, to turn it into something that can make us stronger than we maybe were on the outset. Um we have so you haven't time. seen Endgame. This is a spoiler alert, so we will not be it to
2: get it yeah, was well, it longer been longer. out for a while, so. okay. I know some of you have little children, but we are going to talk about a character in that movie, so feel free to leave. We'll <laughs> <gonna> have Thor's <our laughs> storyline to be spoiled <laughs> for you, we'll, we'll not spoilers from here. Okay, so, for all the rest of us who can see this, or the sort of women to hear it, so Thor's storyline in Endgame it was fantastically done from a trauma standpoint. There's been articles written about it. It's just gotten all the accolades it deserves. And the reason is, is it was real. Like, there were a couple jokes. I've seen a lot of Lebowski doors on the floor today. But it was true. He just threw in the towel, started playing video games with his buddies, and was just done. Like, he was done being Thor. He was done being himself. He was done being this god. He was just done. And that's kind of how you feel sometimes when you go through something traumatic. You just retreat and you can just go to that depth. But what's also great about it is he comes to the other side because there's people who don't give up on him. And like Rocket comes and just pokes pokes and pokes and pokes and pokes and finally gets him up off his rear. And he doesn't come back though. At the end of the movie, he's not, the beautiful, lickable Chris Hemsworth that we saw in the movies today. He's a different kind
1: of hero, I suppose, because he's gone through this stuff. But he doesn't lose any weight, he doesn't shave,
2: but he's still four. He's just different. He's forever marked and forever changed by what he went through, but he doesn't have to live in that all the time. He can be something else can be something, I think, greater. I got two kick ass weapons instead of just one, which even better. Um, so I love that full path for him in that movie. I think it's really, really well done. And
3: um, with Sansa up there, I mean, talk about trauma. She had physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, emotional abuse. She went through a lot. Um, Hoping
2: all of you have seen the end. Right. So um, another spoiler. You haven't seen, seen the finale.
0: Happy yeah. yeah. final season. Yeah. So, so uh,
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
3: you watch it though, go home. So, yeah. so you know, Sansa went through so 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 much, and we saw her, you know, grow throughout the seasons. Naturally, she was only 13 when it all started. So she's gonna grow on her own, anyways. But she also grew, you know, <clears> just the <throat> way that she was working with the way that she was using her resources. And at the end, you know, I think it's, yeah, in this last season, season eight, she's sitting talking with the hound. And there's this um, moment where she, the hound's kind of asking her, you know, you're able to look at me again. And this is a moment that, you know, I've actually seen there's some criticism of um, and, and also some uh, praise for. And I think unpacking it is uh, worthwhile. So she kind of lets the hound know, yes, you know, I am not the little bird that I used to be. And of what I've been through I'm now who I am and so the criticism of that is you know we, we want to be really conscious not to give credit for our personal growth to the people who were the experiences that would victimize us while also acknowledging that there that we do have the ability to um, harness our own strengths and grow through adversity so that there's a balance there that that certainly in acknowledging that you have grown from an experience or being meaning from an experience, um, you know, we want to be conscious not to then say that, yes, that experience was great for you, that you would have signed up for that regardless. Not necessarily. Um, and, and, and we see her, you know, kind of start to take uh, an internal locus of control versus external. What does that mean? External locus of control is where the world happens to you. She shifts to a place where she has control of her life. And that's you know one of the things that trauma has a tendency to do is to cause you to feel like you don't have any control. And one of the things that can really start to build your resiliency and strength and help you through it and make meaning is to identify where do you have control. And then maybe it's just I have control to wake up this morning, get out of bed. Maybe it's I'm going to take over the north. You know, um, <laughs> just depends on your trajectory and <laughs> what well, you're doing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that it can start really really small and it grows um, and. Then that's where Sansa, I think, is this really wonderful example of like, you can go through so, so, so much. And, and, you know, yeah, you might make some choices to kill a few people. And that's not what we're recommending. Right? <laughs> <any laughs> don't be hey. way. That's not the ideal way or any way to process your trauma. And we also see her then start to use her growth um, and, and meaning making process to, um, you know, engage with the people in her lives. You know, she starts to reconnect with really important people in her life. And
1: starts to make decisions that move her toward the path that she wants to be on, not that somebody else put her on. So, you know, through this, kind of these heroes, heroines, icons, and I mean, tons of others that we didn't even get to, but, you know, we can see that they overcame their tragedy not because of their superpowers, not because of their position, but in spite of them you know, that in most circumstances they <clears throat> resented the powers that they have, they resented the authority that they have, and that, that was actually kind of a hindrance and an obstacle to them overcoming their trauma. And that's useful for us because I'm guessing that most of you are like most of us, which is you're just kind of everyday folks. You know, unfortunately I can't climb walls, although so I've tried a lot and it's not sick and, that's but I'm <laughs> You know, I don't control the North. I mean, I don't think any of these ladies do. Um, But, you know, amidst the fact that we maybe don't have that, you know, that just kind of gifted power, we can overcome those things too. Because we see that those things were not what allowed those heroes to overcome it. It was kind of this internal strength, it was the community that was around them, it was the resources that they access. And through that we find that pain may not fade. Uh, but now we find purpose in that thing. We find direction and that darkness and meaning and that madness. And so I want to suggest to you guys um, that it's just been really helpful with a lot of students that I've worked with has been mindfulness. Uh, there's lots of different ways to kind of approach uh, the events that you've gone through that maybe be One is going through archetypes of other people like we have. Um, but mindfulness is really helpful. Uh, uh, it's sort of like meditation in a way, but I think it's a little bit broader than that. Um, and really encompasses kind of you know, a sense of clarity of mind, being aware of where you are, where everything else is, trying to help center you. Um, you know, I'm not going to explain it well enough in 30 seconds on this slide, but I would highly suggest there's some excellent TED Talks on mindfulness. If you search like TED mindfulness, you'll almost say goal for sure. Um, but it really is just kind of a way to make yourself more aware of where you're at and what's going on. And to give you an idea of what that might look like from a comic perspective, you know, we see Bruce doing that a lot in terms of trying to kind of quell the Hulk from overriding him. And so, again, it's not really just meditation. It's more kind of trying to center himself. Um, and if you've seen Logan, you know, it's a fantastic movie. I think it's probably the best, Men universe movie. But, um, I think the way that uh, Logan, Wolverine tries to help Professor X kind of calm himself, and collect himself, and kind of bring himself back to a focused point, is a really good example of what that mindfulness can look like. So we just wanted to put up a couple of resources for you guys too. Car Out of Crisis Hotline, National Su- Suicide Prevention Hotline, um, you know, I cannot stress enough. If you feel like you're alone, these numbers are up here for a reason, you are not alone, okay? Look around this room, you are not alone. But you don't have all of our cell phone numbers. So, you call this number. For goodness sake, don't make a decision that's rash in a moment because you are at the bottom of the it, okay? There's a way to climb out of that. And I hope that we provided a little bit of light for you today. But please, 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 access those resources. Um,
2: experience trauma as a child or maybe have children who come from traumatic places. Karen Burgess is pretty much the world expert on that. Her method's called um, Trust-Based Relational Intervention. She started the Empowered to Connect wing of TCU. So she's got a lot of great resources specifically focused on child and adolescent trauma. So even if you're an adult, but if you experienced it then, a lot of what she has to offer, can a link to maybe what you've experienced. <laughs> and
0: a lot of the statistics and things like
1: that on trauma come from the substance abuse and Health services administration and health resources and services administration. So just those websites have a whole plethora of ways to reach out, um, you know, therapists and things like that in the community as well as other resources that are online. Yeah, last quick thing I just want to say. There's a reason
3: that trauma is depicted in all of our television shows, movies, pop culture, because this is a human experience. that, like. Everybody here, I think, raised their hand that this is a human experience, you aren't alone, there isn't shame in experience, trauma going through the grief process, and it's how do you connect with your resources, whether it's your family, or friends, significant other, um, you know, seeking out a group, um, identifying one of these resources and connecting with them. Um, These can be the things that help you move through that trauma, that you're human as well. Um, I do have business cards up here, whether, just use that business card to contact me I'm happy to help connect you if you're looking for a counselor or therapist in the area to help connect you to someone that might be a good fit for you if you're looking for some sort of service or
2: support so we have like two minutes for a couple of quick questions Sorry, or comments. We'll, we'll hang out too if you guys have other things to offer if anyone in the audience has anything yeah so Oh
1: um, yeah. the yeah. yeah. like the very beginning. Um, experiencing one traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um what's the
2: What's what's just uh statistic of someone experiencing more than one traumatic event? That is an excellent question. Um, so, so I the do... question for the recording was what the statistic we provided on the first slide was specifically about men and women experiencing one traumatic
1: event in their life. What are the statistics on people experiencing more than one? And so, I mean, that stat is from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So, <laughs> I would check out the website, they have a whole bunch more stats you know, nationwide for what that looks like. Um, I, I couldn't wager a guess, but I would say that my experience working with people who've experienced trauma, it tends to not be one event because, unfortunately, those events tend to domino into other events. Um, sometimes that we kind of set on ourselves or at least don't resist happening. Um, I wouldn't say that there's universalized. I don't want, really want to get a stab. But um, I, I would say that I think it's a slippery slope. And that when you go through traumatic events, it is very important to recognize how easy it is to fall into other events. You know, someone we didn't have up there, but it's like Iron Man. And the way that he falls in alcoholism in the comics, because of this exact thing, I mean, it's like, it's really, really easy, particularly when we start talking about substance abuse to kind of slide into that. Kind of slide. Good question. Yeah. Could, could you speak up? Sorry. Yeah. What uh, school district So I work at a charter school that's in D49. Oh, yeah. What district you work in? I, I, uh, I'm a behavior therapist. Oh, okay. so cool. Cool. You got it. You yeah. understand. Alright, yeah. All right. yeah. Um, so I've been working with them for about a year now, and they've implemented uh, social
3: emotional learning as part of a grant program to see how like
2: the effects are. So I'm wondering if you've heard anything about it and if, like, what, um, what do you think
1: about providing that to children? So, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about that specific program and grant, but, um, you know, the school that I worked with, we had a social worker that did 45 minutes with our students every day, and they were um, classified as um, moderate to severe because of their level of disability. Um, but I think it was the most wonderful and helpful thing ever. And truly, I think, for the general populace, it'd be really helpful. Because in our culture, you know, we're really weird. It's like we're really open as a culture, but we're also really closed off. And it's like we can
0: be, I mean, honestly, we're lot like that
1: as a, as a culture. It's like you can be open as long as it's fun and happy, but if you're sad, then I don't want to get that crap. And I think social emotional learning is really helpful because it helps you to recognize the mosaic that you are as a person, that all of that is valid, but all of that can be good, and it helps you give function and um, can fuel behind the parts of you that can be hard to talk about in a public sphere. So
2: all this study show that, like the children in particular, the earlier the intervention, the better the prognosis is for them to be functioning adults in different avenues of their life. So I think to have that, like for younger children, is probably going to be pretty revolutionary. That would be amazing. I think Renee Brown says
3: that the thing that we value the most in seeing in others is vulnerability, and yet that's the very thing that we hold back. Um, I think that being able to teach everybody, but starting with young people, um, you know, social emotional learning. I mean, how many of us sat down and learned how to have a difficult conversation to be vulnerable? You know, Maybe some of us, and that would be wonderful. But a lot of us didn't, and so we're kind of learning it on the fly, or learning it from other people who didn't sit down and learn how to do it. We're all just trying to figure it out together, and it would be amazing if we could have a resource early on where we at least develop some strategies <laughs> or tools um, to, to move through this experience together so that we can be vulnerable together. So I
1: want to thank you guys. I think our time is up. We um, will be up here for a few minutes, Back I can step up, so if you have any other questions for us, yeah, grab a Lauren's cards if you are. That's fine too. Um, but thank you guys so much for coming out for such an important topic. I hope you guys have a great Wrestling
0: Convention. If you like this, check out some of our other shows like Exotic Liability, No Applause, Just the Clap, and Black Falls. We can be found at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for The BACN on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play.
1: Yeah.